Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Just want to um, ask who was here last week. Today is going to be a second part of a two-part message. So hands up if you're here last week. Hands up if you weren't. Okay, so a few folks that weren't. So just as a little bit of a recap for you, this is a two-part message on the work of the Holy Spirit. And back in March, I talked about the house of the Spirit, and we looked at the fact that the, God's house is a house of living stones. That's us. And the builder of the house is the Holy Spirit. He is the primary agent here on earth now, for this age, before the coming of Christ. And his job that he's been sent to do is to build the house of God that's made up of you and me. Living stones, each one unique and special and placed in the house of God by the Holy Spirit himself. Placed in a unique spot that only that stone can fill. And in this message I want to look into the work of the Holy Spirit because not only does the Spirit of God place us in the house of God but he also shapes the stones of the house as well. And we looked at a picture last time of a, of a dry stone wall with every stone a different shape and size and all placed there carefully by a craftsman that knows how to build the wall. Well, the architect and builder of this house is God himself. And he's placing each stone and he's shaping each stone for its purpose in the house of God. So last time we looked about how the Holy Spirit shapes each stone. And the Bible calls that the work of sanctification. So we looked at what sanctification actually is. What does it mean? And it means to be set apart for God's work. It means to be separated. And therefore, when we get into the nitty-gritty of what that actually means, we talked about the starting point. When we get saved, we get born again. Something amazing happens, which is the disorder that Satan brought into the world, which has affected all of us from when we were born, this disorder meant that God's planned order was that you being three in one, three parts, tripartite, as theologians call us, that we have a spirit, a soul, and a body. And the problem is in the garden, whereas before Adam and Eve's spirit was in charge and in the driving seat, if you like, sin came along and disrupted that whole order. So that actually the body takes over, or the mind, the soul, the personality takes over and tries to drive us in life. But that's not how we were created, it's not how we were designed to live. So in new creation, in new birth, when we're born again, our spirits are reborn, and God says, right, your spirit is now in charge. I'm putting your spirit back in the driving seat. And then we said, okay, well, how does that look How does that practically work itself out? Well, how it practically works itself out is that our bodies and our minds were used to being in the driving seat. But God says, no more. Your spirit needs to be in the driving seat. Your spirit can understand spiritual things. And that means you can understand how to live this life because you're understanding spiritual truths. But your mind and your body don't know how to do that. So your mind and your body, our bodies and minds, have to be trained to learn to take instructions from our spirit. But we said that the body and the mind are not good backseat drivers. They don't like not being in the driving seat. They don't like being relegated. And every now and then they try to reassert themselves and try to be the driving force in our lives. And the whole purpose of sanctification is for the Holy Spirit to help us with that process of bringing our minds and our bodies 
into line with what God has done in us. We are new creations, Paul says. 2 Corinthians 5.17. We're new creations. The old has gone. It's gone. What's Paul talking about when he says it's gone? He's on about that which controlled us before is gone. The power of sin to control us has gone. Jesus' work on the cross paid the penalty of sin and it dealt with the power of sin, including our baptism. And that's a wonderful picture of the cutting off of the power of sin in our lives. But now God needs to do with the pollution of sin. Because like those poor little animals and birds that you see that get caught up in an oil slick when there's a big spillage of oil in the sea and they drag poor seabirds from it, they're covered in oil and it gets into everywhere and it's a slow process taking the oil out of them, getting rid of it, cleaning them and and purifying them from that oil. And that's a good picture of what it's like for all of us because our bodies and our minds need that process of purification. So that's what we looked at last time. This time, what I want to do is drill down a bit deeper and say, okay then, how does the Spirit of God take us through that process of separating that sin, which has kind of wrapped itself around aspects of our bodies, so sometimes it drives our physical appetites, and the way we think, and our minds, and our personalities. And the question I asked at the end, for those of you that are here, just to have a ponder on this week, I hope you did, was to ask the question, those aspects that that you feel make you you, those unique aspects of your personality, we say, this this is me, in essence, this is is me. What of those things has sin gotten a hold of? And what of those things are the real you? Because when we come to Christ and we become more like him, he's not making us into clones of him. And that's one of the things I want to look at today. He's not making us into clones of him so that we, u- we lose our uniqueness. He's not asking us to lose who we are. But what he's doing is he, he is removing and extricating how sin has got in and infiltrated the person he has made each one of us to be, which is good. What God made is good. What sin does to it is bad. The Holy Spirit comes to right that wrong. And um, so we're going to get into some of the detail of that this morning. And the first scripture I want to turn us to is John 17, 17. Because the primary tool the Holy Spirit has to help us in this process is the Word of God. This is described in Ephesians 6 as the sword of the Spirit. It's not spirit or word. That's often a a false dichotomy in the church. People feel they're either word people, well, I'm safe, I stay with the word, or spirit people that are somehow a bit floaty and get off into all sorts of stuff. That's not it at all. We're the sword of the spirit people. We're full of the spirit, and that means we're full of the word as well. We're both. And this is the primary tool of the Holy Spirit to help us in that process of sanctification. John 17, verse 17 says this sanctify them, this is Jesus speaking about us, in the truth. So we're sanctified in the truth. And then Jesus says, your word is truth. So the word of God sanctifies us. The word of God can help us in this process of getting cleaned up from the oil slick, removing the the oil of sin, the pollution. And Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is living and active, 
sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I'm just going to read that one more time. And as I read it, just close your eyes just for a second. I just want the word now to, to penetrate our minds and our hearts. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit of God, that you would bring us a fresh revelation of these words so that they would be real for us and we would lay hold of the truth of them. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There's nowhere to hide from the word of God. Someone once said to me, the more you read the word, the more the word begins to read you. It starts to look into you. It starts to filter us. And these words can either mean that the word of God is able to dig down, it's able to penetrate to the full depths of my soul and of my spirit. But it can also mean that this that the, the Spirit of God uses the word to divide and to separate. And that is to separate things so that we can see what's really going on. He says right at the end, to discern the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So through the word of God, the Holy Spirit is able to help us to separate thoughts and intentions that are going on inside of us to say, this is good, and this is you. This is who I've made you to be. This is not you. This is not who I've made you to be. This is bad. This needs to go. And the primary way the Holy Spirit will do that is when we read the word. We say, Holy Spirit of God, I want you to use your living word. Let it be living and active in me right now. And it's the combination of the word and the Holy Spirit together in that process of revelation that the Holy Spirit can show us who he's making us to be and the things that need to go, the things that are not good and are not really us, but they're the result of sin in our lives. They're the result of sin getting hold of our natural personality and maybe changing it and warping it a little. And we'll come into a bit more detail on that shortly. When we read the scriptures in um, Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, Paul talks about the daily process of putting off and putting on. There's, lot, there's a long list of things, isn't there, that we need to put off. And we could be forgiven for reading through that list and thinking, this sounds like a lot of hard work. There's a lot of putting off to be done. And it can feel quite onerous. But the thing is, the word of God can have its effect on us if we surrender to it. This isn't about striving to be somebody that we're not. It isn't about striving to do something that's impossible. It's about surrendering to the power of the Word of God. That the Word, as we read it, can change us from the inside out through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's about coming to the Word, all of us together, and individually, when we're on our own with God, with that expectation 
that this is going to change me from the inside out. It's going to read me. It's going to separate things from me that are not good for me and not who God has called me to be. 1 Thessalonians, uh, no, sorry, Colossians 3.16, Paul's prayer was that he said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You see, the word of God can dwell in us and when it dwells in us, it will produce riches. It brings the fullness of Jesus to us, the living word. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says this, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as, it really, as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. You know, when we meditate upon the word of God, it changes us from the inside out. And I want us to... Um, In going before the Lord every day, I want us to be able to go before him and say, Lord, I want to be changed. I want you to show me. I want you to use your word in a fresh way that I find this will cut right to my heart. That I won't be able to sit and read and say, yeah, I've I've done that for today. Have you ever done that? You can just read a chapter and think, yeah, I've read that. I've done my reading. But actually, every time we come to the Word of God, we can be cut to the heart. Every time we come to the Word of God, we can find it penetrating to the depths of who we are. That might sound quite painful experience. And sometimes it is, but not always. Sometimes it's a joyful experience. It'll take us through a whole range of different emotions as God changes us. But also, the way that we change is through revelation of Christ. I'm going to take you to another scripture. It's 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And I think this is probably, for me, the best description of what sanctification is all about. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. It's up on the screen in the ESV. If you've got another version, feel free to read along. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So he's saying that this is the work of the Spirit to take us through this process of beholding the glory of the Lord. It's a transformation through revelation of who Jesus is. You see, the Word of God is used by the Holy Spirit in this process, but the work of the Spirit is to reveal Christ to us. It's always to point us to him. The Holy Spirit has been sent to live in us, to take us to Jesus, to show us who Jesus is, and more than that, to enable us to get to know Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. And in that process, the fullness of Jesus then starts to come and fill us. And when we read in Ephesians 4, where Paul's talking about the church, that we all would grow together into the full stature of Christ, underpinning that is all of us undergoing that. He's not just talking to everybody, that it's kind of generally happening, but that each one of us is being filled with the fullness of Christ. And that's what this scripture is about. This is what Paul is telling us, that we're being transformed into the image of Christ, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We're not talking about introspection here, but we're talking about looking at Jesus. 
we're talking about seeing him ever more clearly. And um, I was thinking the other day that actually, uh, the more you look at yourself and look within, if you're not looking at Jesus, it just becomes a very negative exercise. It's unfruitful. Naturally, instead of looking within, we need to look at him. We need to look at Jesus. And as we look at him, we are transformed. There's two, I think there's two things that are going on here. First of all, it's like, you remember when Moses came down the mountain and, and his face was shining with the glory of the Lord? He was reflecting the glory that he'd come face to face with, this glory of God. And as we get closer to Jesus and as the Spirit reveals him more fully to us, we start to reflect the glory of God. All of us. Because we've been in his presence. There's a glow about us. Because we've been with Jesus. We start reflecting him like a mirror. But I think there's something else going on here. Because remember we said earlier that becoming like Christ doesn't mean that we turn into clones. It doesn't mean that we all turn into mini Jesuses and we all look like Jesus. Grow a beard, long hair, frock, etc. We still retain who we are. And I was thinking about this process saying, well, okay, well, a mirror will just show back an image of what's there, won't it? And in a sense, we're mirroring Christ. We're, we're being a mirror for him, reflecting his glory, just like Moses did. But something else is going on here. There's something called refraction going on. I had to look this word up. I don't know how it popped into my head, but I looked it up. And refraction is the process of light passing through an object and light is changed. I'm looking to my scientist friend here. Light is changed by passing through the object. And I think light actually sometimes is slowed down by passing through a translucent object and light gets refracted. And, and you see those pictures of a, um, there's one up there just behind the scripture, of like a, a precious jewel. And as light shines through it, at different angles, light comes through it and different colours appear. And that process is something like what's happening to us as we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. That in other words, there's something unique about each one of us. And as the light of Christ comes, his light is refracted through us. And it looks different for each one of us. We're each refracting him in a different way. We're revealing an aspect of who he is as he shines through us. The question is... Do we allow this process to go ahead or are we impeding this process? Are we allowing the light of Christ to come through us? Are we allowing to live his life through us or not? Paul said to the Galatians, for me to live is Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In other words, I'm letting him live his life through me. I'm not the centre of my life anymore. I'm not the driving force in my life. He is. So that that refraction that takes place is how we are reflecting his glory uniquely, each one of us. Every living stone is different and when the light of Christ comes, it reflects, refracts the light of Christ in a different way and it's showing a different aspect of the glory of God. And when you put all those living stones together, all these shiny stones, we're then producing a big image of who Jesus is to the world. And that's our calling as the house of God 
is to show the world what Jesus looks like in ever-increasing measure. The question is, are we going to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in that process? Because this is where the nitty-gritty comes in. This is where the rubber hits the road. How willing are we to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in extracting those things that are impeding that process? It's um, removing the impact of sin and the influence of sin on us and upon our personalities. I think there's two keys for us. And um, back in March when I was looking at the house of the Spirit of God, we talked about this word koinonia, which is the fellowship what the word means, fellowship, the koinonia of the Holy Spirit, and it has different aspects of how it works amongst us. But in order for there to be a koinonia, one of those aspects is communion between us and him, that heart-to-heart connection, there has to be validation and vulnerability in the house of God. And these two things are absolutely key for us to lay hold of sanctification. Validation and vulnerability. I'll explain what I mean, but I just want to look at a couple of scriptures. Galatians 5, verse 22. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This isn't an exhaustive list, by the way. I don't know if you've ever wondered that. This isn't all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is just giving you an idea. When the Holy Spirit is at work in us, we can expect to see some of these things. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is, no, uh, there is no law. Against such things, there is no law. In other words, fill your boots. You can be as much as you like of these things. You cannot be in excess of them. You can't be too much them. And actually, the word shows us where these fruits come from is the love of God. Love of God is, is the seedbed, if you like, for all of these and in 1 Corinthians 13, we'll all know this scripture really well. What sometimes is a bit sad is we, we hear it mostly at weddings and not much at, at other times, do we? This, for me, is one of the most powerful statements in the Word of God because it's telling us about who God is. And it's telling us not only that, but what God's love looks like when it's in you. When the Holy Spirit is able to do his work in you, what it will look like what we will look like. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And Paul brings these two things together, the fruit of the Spirit and the love of God, when he gives instructions to us in Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14. He says this, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, above all these, put on love, 
which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The love of God must be, for each one of us, the source of our validation. Validation simply means our value and worth as an individual human being. And for each one of us, that must come from what God says about us. Every other voice is not qualified to speak to our value and worth. They're only able to agree with it. God's verdict on who he has made you to be is the only verdict, it is the only truth. And the trouble for lots of Christians is that we are drawing our value from someone other than him. We're listening to a voice which is not his voice. It may be the voice of someone in our family, maybe the voice of someone in our past that stayed with us, maybe the voice of the enemy. And part of the process of validation is the Spirit of God helping us to throw off those lies. They're not true about me. What God says about me is true. If we can reject the lies of the enemy, it enables us to make ourselves vulnerable before him. Because it stops us feeling defensive. It stops us feeling like we have to defend who we are. But actually when we have a revelation of the love of God toward us and how much he values and cherishes us as a living stone, then it's easy to be vulnerable before him. And actually, it softens our hearts so that we can say, however you want to change me, that's okay. Whatever you want to do in here, that's okay. The process of change is scary because there are, there's a sense in which, for all of us, we don't want to lose who we are. We, we all want to know who we are. We've all asked ourselves the question, who am I? Have you ever had one of those, and this, I don't know whether anyone else has ever had this, or just me because I'm a bit weird, but have you ever had one of those moments where you look in the mirror and just for a second you see this reflection back at it and you think, who are you? And it's like an out-of-body experience. Anyone ever had that? Yeah? No? Maybe one or two people. It's a really weird experience. It just happens every now and then to me. And I really don't like it. Because then I just think, who? You know, and, I, and then I start talking about myself in the third person. Who's Christopher Alton? What, eh? <laughs> but there's a sense of, of, in each one of us, there's a desire to know, who am I? Who have you made me to be? Yeah. And the problem is, is that we've grown up with sin. Kind of, it's like someone's thrown ink on a picture and we can't see it and God is the artist you know those artists that restore those um, old paintings have you ever seen that process where old paintings have been damaged or they've been painted over and these uh, restorationists can delicately remove the layers that have distorted and painted over the original image and restore what was underneath and that's the work of the Holy Spirit he's an artist in our lives and he's the author of our lives he's the only person qualified to say what the original intended image 
of you is. And the point we need to come to in sanctification, when we know that we're loved by him, is that we're willing to say to him, Lord, whatever you think needs to go, I agree with that. Whatever you think needs to go, that's okay with me. And that's actually a hard place to come to. It's easy to say, it's really hard to mean. Because you're actually just giving the Spirit of God carte blanche. You're, just giving, you're saying to him, whatever you want to do, Lord. And actually, once you've said that, and then the Spirit says, well, I'd like to remove that. You know what? There's a part of you that will, there's part of all of us that will kind of, kind of resist that. Because we've had some companions on the journey of life. These things that we kind of feel are part of us, but the Spirit says, that's not part of you. It's not who I made you to be. But they've just been these companions for so long that sometimes it's hard to know what's me and what's not me. What's me and what's sin. But the Holy Spirit can be trusted with your life. And the, the degree to which we lay hold of Christ and are transformed from one degree of glory to another is contingent upon our willingness to say, okay, Holy Spirit, you can go anywhere. I'm giving you the keys to every single room in the house. There's nothing that's off limits. Who am I? And who is sin trying to make me to be? And you know what? The Holy Spirit will show you And he'll do it at a pace which you can cope with. Even if you feel sometimes you can't cope with it. Or this is too hard what's being asked of you. Holy Spirit knows you better than you know yourself. And I'm just thinking about maybe some examples of this. And these are not exhaustive anyway. Just some things I was thinking about. How we can have natural traits natural aspects of our personalities and our skills and who, who make, you know, what makes us who we are that are good but how we can sometimes the Holy Spirit can show us where sin is doing something with that so that it's not good and I thought about just some questions it may be that you're a really confident person maybe you are um, just really confident in life some people are naturally confident but what sin will do is get hold of that and it'll turn it into arrogance or it'll turn it into impatience with others that won't get with what what you want to do quick enough some people are really shy I was talking to someone the other day who's chronically shy came to Jesus and then realised that actually there's an aspect to themselves that's okay with being a shy person but that the fear of man was ruling their life and that isn't good and God was helping them see where shyness turns into fear and saying that's not good that is sin's influence on you maybe you're a really logical thinker I like logical thinking probably not that um, hard to see I'm a logical thinker. The problem with logical thinkers is that sometimes we can dismiss other people that seem to have very illogical thoughts. You know, just somewhere over there. And you think, how on earth did you get to that? There's no logical way. You've just plucked that out of the air. But sometimes you can be dismissive of others 
because they, their thoughts don't follow your th logical thought process. Sin is coming in. What you can bring to what we all have is logic, which is good. A logical, analytical thinker is an asset to have, but not when they're being dismissive of other people and not working well with others. Maybe you're good at detail. I'm a detail person. Problem with detail people is they turn into pedants. They get nitpicky. They can't see the big picture because they get stuck on all the detail and they drag everybody else into the detail. I'm speaking personally, by the way. Um, after 30 years of marriage, <laughs> it's something I'm still working on. Maybe you're more creative, artistic. Um, creative and artistic people are wonderful. You know, God has filled the house with creative and artistic people. The danger sometimes, I think, when you're creative is that the process of your creation, of your artistry, is that it can become about your process. It can become about you and your gifts and people recognising that. And actually, the whole point is to glorify God, and that can get lost a bit in the mix. It can become a little introspective. Maybe you're emotionally sensitive. We have any empaths in the room? Just sensing all the emotion. We've got one at the back. There we go. Overwhelmed by the emotion of the room. Empath empathetic people are wonderful. But sometimes it can make us a little bit oversensitive to others and taking offence and holding things against each other. Maybe in your life you've been shaped by prejudice and that's made you suspicious that's ended up in being suspicious of other people and their motives towards you before you've even given them a chance to open themselves up to you. It's not an exhaustive list. There's loads of ways to think about this. But what I wanted to do was to give you some examples so that you can think about who you are. Think about the things that make you you and have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. Say, all the good stuff you've put in me, can you show me what sin has been doing to that? And there'll be some surprises for all of us. Because some things, we've been doing it so long, we just didn't realise. We just thought, that's me. But actually, I think there'll be some pleasant surprises because I think the Holy Spirit will show us, actually, if I just remove that influence of sin on you, if I show you how to put that off, what you're going to see is what I originally designed and intended for my house. And you're going to be unimpeded in the way that you function in my house and the fruit that you bear in my house and the impact you have on everybody else around you in the house of God. What I've done is um, put together a word to life which is going to be going out to the life group leaders. It's available today it's, and it's on LRC Grow so you can download it today to try and follow up some of these things in a pragmatic way and I want to encourage you so there's some questions in there for all of us to take in our times with God on our own personally to ask the Holy Spirit and then there's some questions that you could discuss in your groups and I just want to encourage you to be as open as you feel you're able to be not asking you to put everything on the table but let's maybe just be a bit more open with each other and be willing to make ourselves a little vulnerable with each other because I know we share these things I guarantee other people in the room will be struggling with some of the same things that maybe you've struggled with but let's do that so that the Holy Spirit can change us from the inside out. Because this is how 
the people of God mature into the fullness of the stature of Christ. And when that happens, the world looks at the kingdom of God and says, that's how you do it. And that is what the word tells us will draw all men to Christ when he is seen and lifted up in the earth. It happens amongst the people of God and in the house of God. Spirit-filled people of God means that the Holy Spirit is building his house. And for the Holy Spirit to build his house, he needs to shape each one of us as a living stone so that we can find our place, play our part, and that means removing sin's pollution and showing us who we really are. And as he strips away the impact of sin, what's left is the original, intended, wonderful creation that you are that will refract and reveal God's glory in a unique way as part of a revelation to this world of who God is. Amen. Amen. Thank you, folks. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.